Good morning. How's everybody doing today? I'm Gary, and you're not? And you're glad, because you're sitting there and I'm up here, right? I'd like to let everybody know we're happy to have you here today, and uh, just excited to look at what God has to say to us this morning. And uh, before we get started on that, i got a few announcements. Uh, first one here is a, is a thank you card. Uh, Melissa Nelson, a longtime uh, member here at Greater Alton, her mother passed away recently. And uh, this is from their family. It says, your generosity to our family during this time was greatly appreciated. Your kindness did not go unnoticed. Thank you so much. And uh, as most of you know, a number of you donated uh, to help with the funeral costs and that, uh, to help the family out. And they just wanted to say thank you for that. So there we have it. Has anybody heard anything about camp coming up? Good, good. I'll talk about that in a minute. Wanted to let you know something, guys. Uh, every Sunday while we're out here, we have something in the back called Discovery Land. And uh, today they are having something called Battle of the Brains. It's an annual event where the children challenge parents. Now, parents have been pulled out of here yet? Does anybody know? They have. Okay. Like, you can all relax. But what they do is they have the kids in Discovery Land challenge the parents to a, a Bible trivia, if you will, contest. And uh, it's set up really neat. they got buzzers and they got pictures of brains. And there's a traveling trophy. I don't know if you know that. If the adults win, it'll be in the coffee area. If not, it'll be in the children's area. I don't know who's the, who at the record is here, okay? We need to find that out to see what's going on. Now, from what I understand, the parents were more or less drafted this morning. They did not know who they were going to be. When they came today, they did not know they were going to be back there. So, kind of exciting stuff if you have kids back there. Um, along that same lines, um, they have something in the, in the Discovery Land called Trading Treasures. The kids get different points for uh, doing different things. Uh, bringing their Bible, learning a memory verse, answering questions and such. And then every so often they get to spend those points on things, and they need some donations for those. Is that correct? What kind of things do they need? Because I didn't see it in the bulletin. Coming up in Discovery Land. I look. Oh, there it is, right in the middle. Big print and everything. Okay. So you find that in your bulletins if you'd like to donate, and we'll go from there. There's no need for me to read that to you. Now, about church camp. Everybody heard church camp's coming up? You guys seem rather excited over here. Uh, Guys, we have two camps that are coming up. One is for our younger children called Primary Camp, and the other is for the teenagers. And the theme for the teen camp this year is YOLO. You don't know what that is, do you, adults? You only live once. That is what YOLO is. One of the kids told me I was the king of YOLO, and I had no idea what she meant. But apparently I was driving fast. (laughs) Taking chances, because you only live once. I thought it was cool. Anyway, uh, church camp is coming up. We are putting on both camps, and we have an unspoken, unwritten, no, it is a spoken rule. It's an unwritten rule around here that any kid that wants to go to camp can go to camp. Uh, Members here, their children... Um, and But in order for that to happen, we need some funding. 
And so we, we put out a plea, an offer, a challenge, however, to the adults to say, hey, if you can sponsor a child to go to camp, we would greatly appreciate it. If you can't sponsor a whole child, uh, if you'd like to make a donation, you can do that. What's that? Whatever that means. Um, but you can donate a number of different ways. Um, you can put it in the offering plate at the end of the service uh, when, we, when we turn in our communication cards and put on the memo. If you're giving something over and above your, your regular contribution, just write camp on there. Uh, if there's a particular child that you know needs help or you want to you talk to Billy or myself or Gina about a particular child and you would like to say, I want to know where my money's going, I want to sponsor a particular child, they have lists of children who need some assistance. From what I'm told, some of the teens are willing to exchange manual labor for their, for their help. So that's another, you may, may want to consider that, may want to consider that. Um, or you can also do it in our digital donations in the back. Uh, you go through the little kiosk thing, and it, you can either donate to the teens or to the uh, Discoveryland ministry. And then on the merchant's receipt, that if you will write what, write on there how much you gave and what it was for, and give it to either Gene or Billy. Is that correct? Okay. So many ways to do it right. So many ways. Anyway. On to the good stuff, right? Tim has been preaching through the book of Acts for the last several weeks. I don't know how many weeks, because I don't keep track of such things. Is it in our notes? Yeah, no, it's not. Okay. Tim has been preaching through the book of Acts. And he asked me several weeks ago, he goes, which do you want to do? And I said, I want to talk about Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 and chapter 11. And guys, it's really cool when you look. The book of Acts is called the Acts of the Apostles. And it is basically the actions that the first Christians took. And specifically the apostles who were Jesus appointed 12 that he sent out into all the world. And these are the stories of what happened during those early days of when Christianity first came on the planet and it spread worldwide. And as I tell people often, when you look at the Bible, the Bible's not exhaustive. In fact... Uh, I believe it's in the book of Luke. It says, or maybe it's John. Is it John? Where it says that if every story had been, to- every detail of Jesus' life had been written, the books of er- the earth wouldn't be enough to hold all the books. So the Bible's not exhaustive. But when you understand that it is what God wants us to have, you understand that what He gave us is therefore very important. There are no insignificant details in the Bible. Now, what's really cool about this story is it gives us a bunch of details of the story. And guys, I find that very, very cool, very exciting. But we're going to be in Acts chapter 10 and, verse, and chapter 11. If you have that, have your Bible, and you want to follow along, I'm going to read the entire story. If you want to sleep, now's not a good time. I'm going to begin in Acts chapter 10, and we'll read through about half of chapter 11. So you can see what's going on here. Very significant story, very cool story. Let's read this. Beginning in verse 1. It says, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. 
Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day when the angel, I'm sorry, about noon the following day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. Those are words that a hunter loves to hear. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering what the meaning of the, about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit told him, Simon, Three men are looking for you. Get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I am the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived at Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. (coughs) But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour. At three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the house of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. 
You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as the judge of the living and the dead. And all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. The apostles and believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them? Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance, I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. <coughs> Excuse me. Then I heard a ver- voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice, that spoke, from, the voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And then it was pulled back up to heaven. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in the house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them, as He had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered that the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift He gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then... Even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. (coughs) Excuse me. Anybody else have an allergy problems this morning? I don't think anybody exists, though. Anyway, uh, guys, when you look at this story, 
Like I said earlier, everything God gives us is for a reason. He wants us to learn something from it. It's just not a matter of, 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 of history. It's a matter of there's a lesson in there for us. So this morning, we want to ask the question of what can I learn from this story? And we're just going to talk about three simple things that I believe God wants us to learn from this story. And the first one is that God wants everybody to be saved. See, now you may not realize what's going on if you, if, unless you've paid much attention to the Bible. What's going on in this story is rather significant. Up until this time, the only people who had became Christians were those of the Jewish nation. Israelites, Jews, however you want to put it. They were God's chosen people for centuries. And if you wanted to be right with God, you had to become, you had to convert to Judaism. And when Jesus, after Jesus came, and he said, you know, basically the old law is done away with. This is what you need to do to be saved. They said, great, let's go tell people what need to be saved. And they only told it to other Jewish people. Now, I don't know how long this had been since Jesus had went back up into heaven. But it's been a number of years, I'm guessing. We don't know for fact, but it's been a while. And guys, to understand this divide that exists between the Jews and the Gentiles, all you have to do is think of some of the more significant ethnic or social divisions that have existed in our time. If you think about the Jews and the Nazis during World War II, okay, that was the kind of division and feelings that existed between these two groups of people. If you think about whites and blacks in this country, in as little as 40 or 50 or 100 years ago, there was a great divide. Socially, I mean, uh, prejudice existed, and it was very clear. That's what this division was like. Or if you want to think of it in more, ter- more, more common terms today, it's like Republicans and Democrats. Okay? There's no good one on the other side. Is that right? That's right. <laughs> no matter what side you're on, you don't think there's good one on the other. Guys, it's a, it's a problem. There's a division that exists. And this division has existed. And God has decided that I don't want that division to exist. God is saying, when it comes to people being saved, there are no divisions. God wants everybody to be saved. Now, it's amazing what great lengths he has to go to to do this. You see, Peter was the spokesman for Jesus in the early days of the church. Or at least he appears to be, because he's the one talking most of the time. In Acts chapter 2, when he first, they first tell people about Jesus and people are first baptized and accept Jesus, Peter's the one that delivers the message. Peter's the one that stands up among them and says, this is what's going on. Now, and again, I don't know how much time existed between Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10. But in Acts chapter 2, this is what Peter said. Look, it's in your notes in Acts chapter 2, verses 17 and 21. Peter's quoting one of the earlier prophets, and he says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Underline all people. And he says, but everyone, underline everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
You see, guys, I don't know how much time passed. I think it's a fairly significant amount of time. But in Acts chapter 2, Peter recognizes, he tells people, God's going to pour out His Spirit on all people. Everybody. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Yet he'd never spoken about Jesus to Gentiles. God has to go to some pretty big extremes to get him to cross that line. And just a side note, I don't know why he had the dream, the vision, through the, the vision that he had in his trance. It says he had it three times. All right? I'm not sure why that is. I know in the Old Testament, uh, when uh, there was a uh, Pharaoh that had a dream, and he had, this, had a dream, there's two different dreams, then Joseph is interpreting the dreams for him. He goes, these dreams are one and the same. You've had it twice because God has firmly established that this is going to happen. Now, I don't know if three times means, buddy, you better just settle on it. Or if maybe Peter was just particularly hard-headed. You know, I don't know if God's ever had to communicate the same lesson to you over and over and over again. Anybody there? Okay, one honest person over here. <laughs> Guys, but it's, it's, he's making a very staunch point. God wants... Everybody to be saved. Guys, I say that. And I think it's significant that we look at that. Because I believe we all have people that we know, people in our lives, that we don't think about God saving them. There's all, we all know somebody that we think is too far gone. Right? Or somebody that we think is not... Just, just beyond being saved, or I don't know how I'd react to them if they got saved. Okay? I mean, that is just the truth of the matter. How would I coexist if a person that I had a great divide with became a Christian? And I had to be nice to them. And we have people like that, guys. If you look in your notes in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, It says, this is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, what he is saying there is this. He's saying he wants everybody to be saved, but I left out the verse before that where he said, I want you to pray for politicians. Oh, See, I've been on Facebook, and I know some of you have some political interests. Is that right? And I I see this verse posted a time or two, and I see people to pray for them to be different, but I don't see a lot of people praying for them to be saved. You see, guys, everybody has somebody in their life that we go, I don't know if they can be saved. And we have a barrier that exists. And we need to understand, guys, that God wants everybody to be saved. See, you all have Gentiles in your life. And by Gentiles, I mean those people who you don't share with. Those people who you have a block in your mind about sharing with them. You see, guys, God wants everybody to be saved. And that leads to the second thing that you need to know, that we need to learn from this, is God is working to save people in my life. 
Did you know that? One of the very cool things that exists... Oh, let's read this verse and then I'll tell you about it. How's that? Acts chapter 17. This is... This is one of the neatest verses in the world. I don't know how else to put it. You know, you look at it. We just read this story about Peter and Cornelius. And we go, how cool is that? That God sends, you know, taps Peter on the shoulder, makes it very clear, taps Cornelius on the shoulder and says, hey, go get Peter. He's going to tell you how to be saved. Do you wish he'd do that in your life? When it comes to saving people, would you wish God would say, hey, Go over there and talk to that person. And he, God told that person, hey, he's coming to talk to you. And you need to listen to him. Would that make it easy? That would be cool. I would like that. Well, you need to understand God's done, doing that. Okay, that's what this verse tells you here in Acts 17. This is what it says. It said, from one man, he made all the people of the world. Now they live all over the earth. He decided exactly when they should live, and he, exact, and he decided exactly where they should live. God did this so that people would seek Him, then perhaps they would reach out for Him and find Him. You see, guys, this is God speaking to every one of us. This is God saying... You live where you live, not on by your own choice. You live where you live because I want you there. You work where you work because I need you there. Because there are other people around who I'm trying to give an opportunity to find me, and I put you there to help them. God wants everybody to be saved, and that includes your neighbors. Does anybody have any... Everybody has neighbors, right? Everybody has neighbors. And I, I don't know about anybody else, but does anybody have any, a neighbor that, you know, maybe is I, less than an ideal neighbor? Does anybody have something like that in their life? When's the last time you tried to share Jesus with that neighbor? You see, guys, we live, in a, we live in a small subdivision out north of Edwardsville. There are 10 houses sitting on 55 acres, and it's amazing. We've been there for 15 years now, and people have moved in and moved out. And when we first moved in there, it was a wonderful little group of everybody working together and getting along, and now it doesn't happen that way. Can I, can I just be honest with you? And just confess that I viewed that as more of an annoyance than I have as an opportunity. I haven't looked at that and said, God's sending new people every so often that I can share with. God's sending new people every so often that I can reach out with. I have stories of how we've had conflict with our neighbors. I've had stories of how crazy I think some of my neighbors are. I do not have stories of how I've shared my faith with all these people. And guys, I'm just, I'm just being honest and confessing. Because this is something at Greater Alton that we've got to be given some attention to. We've got to look and we've got to see God has me where He has me for a reason. Anybody in a job you don't like? Lots of honest people. 
Lots of honest people. Did you wonder if God has you there? Because there's somebody He's trying to save. And He's trying to use you to do it. You see, guys, I'm just being honest here. When you look at the Bible sometimes, and we'll talk about this in a, in a little bit, but we see there being two groups of people. You know, God's elite, the prophets, the apostles, the preachers. And then there's us, ordinary people, and we're just like lemmings. You know, little minions that go around doing what we're told. And, but, God, but God doesn't work through us the way He works through the big guns. Can I tell you that's not true? That is not true. That's what this Scripture is telling you. God has put you in a place to, to share with people. For you to be an opportunity for people to find God through you. The same way that He sent Cornelius to get Peter. Guys, this next sub-point is kind of redundant, but it, Jesus told Peter three times, so I think we can say the same thing twice. He wants to use me to save someone. Jesus wants to use me to save someone. Guys, I hope you go home. I hope that sinks in. He's trying to use me right now to save somebody. Who is that? I don't. I better look to find out. I better look to find out. This is what it, this is what happened with Peter. He says he told us how an angel had appeared to him in his home and had told him, "Send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He will tell you how you and everyone in your household can be saved." Guys, God wants to tell you. He wants to use you to tell somebody how they can be saved. Now, most likely, that's going to be somebody different than me. God wants to use you to save someone that's different than me, different than you. You see, that's one of the things that, that gets in the way sometimes, and we're going to talk about this more a little bit later. But we have a tendency to want to share Jesus with people that are like us. Is that right? You see, if, if, if this whole church were deer hunters, I would not have to worry about any activities being scheduled during deer season. How convenient for me. If the whole church were Rams fans, we would have no activities for 17 weeks on Sunday afternoons in the fall. Okay? We tend to want to be around people who are like us. We tend to want to hang around people that are like us. Jesus was calling Peter to be around somebody who was drastically different than himself. Drastically different. Guys, look at this verse here. This is Jesus talking. It says, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. Now, the kingdom of God, we are the kingdom of God. Do you realize that? And so we are to catch all kinds of fish. What kind of person are you uncomfortable sharing Jesus with? Rich person? 
Educated person? Poor person? Young person? Old person? Guys, I'm just asking you to open up your mind to Jesus using you in a way you've never dreamed of. To reach somebody that you've never imagined yourself being able to reach. You see, guys, for Peter to reach Cornelius, he had to cross a line. A line that nobody had ever crossed. And he had to make a conscious choice to do it. It wasn't just a matter of, hey, I wonder what it would be like to reach out to some Gentiles. God showed him the line. I believe right now God is probably showing you a line that he wants you to cross in order to share Jesus with people. The last thing, guys, that I believe we want to we want to learn from this is that my traditions put me in God's way. And I'm going to have to explain that a little bit. <coughs> I say ch- churches are famous for having traditions. Do you know that? And that's that's only because it has humans in it. Humans are wonderful for having traditions. And when we started Greater Alton, back in 1987, we just just flat said we do not want to be a traditional. We want to be a non-traditional church. And what that means is we're not going to be bound by doing things the same way. And what happens is the way a tradition comes about is that we decide to do something And we do it that way, and it's effective, or at least we believe it's effective. And so we keep doing it, and after a while, we believe that's the only way to do it. And we believe it's wrong if we we quit doing that. When Greater Alton started, there were traditions such as Sunday school. You all remember that? That's where adults come to a Bible class an hour before the church service, which they called the worship service. And you had a Bible class. We didn't find those to be particularly effective. And then you had church service. We cut Sunday school real early. And, and, and we, we did other things. And then we, and you remember having Sunday evening services. I mean, you know, man, if you were committed, you came Sunday morning at 9.30, stayed till 10.30, and came back at 6.30. We cut Sunday evening services. Why? Because we wanted to be in, we didn't want to be bound by tradition. And then came Wednesday nights. We cut those and then we brought them back and then we cut them again. We didn't want to be a traditional church. But about nine years ago, I took a look at Greater Alton and I go, we're not a traditional church like what we didn't want to be. But we're a traditional church. And what I mean by we just come up with different traditions. I mean, that's all there was to it. And guys, there's nothing wrong with tradition until until it replaces what God says. Guys, this is what Jesus had to say about traditions here. He says, so the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked him, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. It just sounds funny. The ceremony of washing your hands. Jesus replied, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. 
For he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. For they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. And guys, let me give you an example of this. Okay, it's when it gets in the way of what's going on. I was asked recently, I've been involved with the youth group over the last six or eight months. And I was asked recently, I was in a meeting uh, about a month ago, and I was asked if basically the question was, are you dissolving the youth group? No. Okay? Shake your head this way. No. We are not dissolving the youth group. We have a youth group. Okay? And it continues to, to, to be maintained, to be, have input into it. But I want to tell you, did you know there's no command in the Bible to have a youth group? Did you know there's no instructions in the Bible to have a youth group or how to have a youth group? Now, there's nothing wrong with having a youth group. Let me be very clear. We have a youth group. We will continue to have a youth group. But did you know that the Bible does give very specific commands about how children are to be taught about God? You know that? It says parents are to teach their children. Now, there's, there's a youth group, and then, which, which is okay. It's not God-ordained. It's not God-commanded. It's not God-instructed, but it's okay. And then there's parents, which God says, this is where kids are supposed to be taught about God. Now, this is okay to have till it gets in the way of this. If a youth group gets in the way of parents obeying God there's a problem. And can I tell you that existed here? That existed for my wife and I. It was just easy. Nobody nobody said, hey, when your kid gets to be 12, send him to the youth group and you don't have to worry about him anymore. Nobody said that. But we had this tendency, if my kid had a problem, well, let's talk to the youth leaders. Let's have the youth leader talk to him about it. You know, my wife, and and it it was just an atmosphere and guys, we, want, we don't want that tradition to exist here at Greater Alton. We want to obey what God has to say, and that is that parents are the responsible for teaching their children. Guys, traditions get in the way. Do you see? That's what was going on here. If Peter would have, obe- would have listened to his tradition without listening to God, he wouldn't have went to Cornelius' house. He would not have went inside. He would not have shared Jesus with them. And somebody else would have had to tell Cornelius about, about Jesus. And you need to understand that when I said earlier he crossed that line. He had to keep crossing that line. Do you know that? Historically, when you read the rest of the book of Acts, and I assume we'll, we'll talk about this in Acts 15 and later on, I know we're talking about going through Galatians and also in the book of Colossians. Do you know this same tradition that Peter is having to buck right here was still a problem in the church? Decades later, there were still people saying, they got to become Jews before they can become Christians. we got to get them boys circumcised. And that's not just a joke. That's what they said. 
And there were people who did it. Guys, we need to understand that if we have traditions, they can get in the way of, of us reaching people. Do you understand that? Now, I'm not as concerned about the whole church traditions as I am personal traditions. Okay? Because I think that's what's going to be getting your way the most. That's what gets in my way the most. A couple weeks ago, Tim talked a lesson. He was in Acts chapter 3, I believe. And he was talking about how Peter, every, he kept saying, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And what that means is by the authority of Jesus. And Tim made the point, he said, do you have any names that compete for first, first authority in your life? You know, do you have this other person who when they say something, you consider it equal or maybe even give it greater significance than what God says? And he went on to say, well, even if you, have, if you say, no, I don't, Jesus is first, he asks you to identify who's number two and who's number three. Because whoever's number two and number three are going to fight to become number one. Okay? I have to constantly fight. My, what, you know, I, 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 want my, I, I keep thinking that Susan's my God, and I've got to listen to her. She like, thinks that's a good idea. But who is your number two and who is your number three? He challenged us to, to think about that. Can I, can I, I want to tell you something. I believe every person's, the number two on every person's list is the same. You know who it is? It's me. It's you. I'm sorry. <laughs> you are your number two. You see, God says, do this. And I go, I don't think so. You know, Jesus says, I want you to share with that person. And you got to, by the authority of Gary, I say, no, they're different than me. I don't want to do that. They're more educated than me. I don't think they'll listen, so I should not share with them. They make more money than me. They're more respected. I should not do that. They are of a different social group. They speak a different language, and I can't understand them very well. You know, guys, you want to get you want to get back to that. I, I again, just another personal challenge. You know, I. We are constantly challenged with the, the, the social problems of our country and the, and the political problems of our country. And, again, this is more confession from me, okay, uh, when it gets to the illegal immigration issue. And, I mean, I think it's very simple from a, from a social and political standpoint. It, they're illegal. It's illegal. And that's my... American position, my American thought process. And then I have to look at it from God's perspective, and God says, listen, I'm sending a whole mission field into your country. You don't have to go to Mexico to reach Mexicans. I'm sending them to you. That's true, is it not? I mean, we, we, I believe that's the way a, a disciple of Jesus should look at this illegal immigration issue. God is sending people to us. I don't, I don't, I'm not in contact with any Mexicans. I, I, I think that's an opportunity for the church, guys. I think that's something we've got to look to. Instead of, we don't have to go to a foreign mission country. The mission country's coming to us. 
Guys, but if we have a personal tradition that we let get above God, guess what? You see, because I believe that. In this country, I believe right now, as Americans, our political views compete for what Jesus has to say. Okay, and that's what I'm saying. I'm not a big active, I'm not, I don't like either party, let me be very clear. Okay, there's, I've been excited about one politician since Ross Perot. And, yeah, he didn't go nowhere. <coughs> I think they're, they all have their problems, that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying about that. But I have, there are issues of this country. I love this country. I would like to see this country on, on a, in a better position. And illegal immigration is an issue that, that I, have a, I have a thought process on. And Jesus says, that thought process is wrong, Gary. Your focus is wrong here. You don't need to be concerned about a fence. You don't need to be concerned about a border. You don't need to be concerned about sending them all back. You, don't need, to be, you need to be concerned about whether or not we're sharing Jesus with them. See, for, me to, for that to happen in my life, I've got to drop my personal tradition. I've got to drop my personal belief. Because why? It stands in opposition to God. See, you need to understand that, guys, that when you have a personal tradition, it is in opposition to God. And I fear too many times in this, in this story where Peter's in the trance. I don't know if you, you picked up on this or not. I mean, it's, it's, sometimes you just read the Bible and you just read it. And you don't think about it the way you should. To where if you saw it, and, and we have teenagers, and there's a lot of so we're around a lot of other teenagers in our house and in other people's houses, and occasionally something like this will happen, where one of the children will, and not necessarily mine, though it does happen with mine, one of the children will will uh, be will will disagree with their parents. And they disagree and they're disrespectful about it. And one of the other kids will go, oh. And it's because it's so obvious that you are being openly disrespectful to your parent. You're disagreeing in the way you're going about it. It ain't right. And the other teenagers see it. And you know if the other teenagers see it, they're wrong. I mean, they're... <coughs> Guys, that's what's going on here when Peter's in this trance. And Jesus says, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter goes, no, I'm not going to do that. Think about that for a minute. Jesus says, do this. And he goes, no, I ain't going to do that. I mean, he does it three times. Guys, we need to understand, when it comes to saving everybody and saving somebody in our life, there's a real good chance we're standing in opposition to Jesus. And we need to understand that. If we're holding to some belief that's getting in the way of somebody being saved... We're in opposition to Jesus. You need to know that. Guys, there's two questions at the end of your notes. One is, what is God trying to show me? Is God trying to show you someone that He wants you to reach out to? Someone that He wants you to share Jesus with? And then the last one is, what traditions have me opposing God? And those are two questions, guys, that I hope you take home and I hope you sit down with God, just the two of you, and you wrestle with. And you ask God to show you 
who He wants you to share Jesus with. And I hope, and I ask, and I, I want you to sh- ask Him to show you what's getting in your way. Maybe it's just personal comfort. You see, guys, until you recognize it, you probably won't deal with it. That's why Jesus was so forceful with Peter, showing him the same thing three times. So, guys, as we close out today, you've got your communication card and your notes. We encourage you to fill that out. Maybe you know right now. Maybe you know that there's somebody that specific that God's put in your life, and you're, He wants you to reach out to Him. I challenge, encourage you to write that name down. Let's pray.